1: FM Talk Podcast. This hour of The Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. Mark Reardon. You know, politicians want to force you to cover your face as a way for them to cover their own
0: asses.
2: Mark Reardon. Does the president not know what's
0: going on? I don't care if you think I'm Satan reincarnated. The Mark Reardon
1: Show is on
2: now. You heard the um, Ron DeSantis in the open there, and it reminded me that this is the week they are going to have that debate, DeSantis and Newsom, with Hannity on Thursday night. We're going to air it here on 97.1 FM Talk, so I thought I'd throw in a little plug for that. Sue Thomas, how are you?
3: I am well, thank you.
2: Fresh off a uh, brisk walk around Forest Park, I understand.
3: Yes, it was cold, but at least it was sunny.
2: You do this like with a friend on Tuesdays, right? Yeah. But typically it's not in the middle of the day.
3: Yeah, we used to do it Monday nights, and then in the winter we thought, "What are we? what are <laughs> we doing? It's pitch black, it's freezing cold, so we've switched it to her lunch hour. Yeah,
2: smart move, right? And uh,
3: we're much happier. Honestly,
2: I and I do this on a regular basis, and I guess I'll do it for three months. I left last night, I, I get in the car, it's just so depressing, it's dark, I passed by Enterprise Center, thrilled that I wasn't shot, first and foremost, and I think to myself, and I, I almost texted you last night, I'm like, man, you know what? When when is the date? I was going to look this up, but when is the date? Would it be February fifteenth or something like that, where it will not be dark when we leave here at six o'clock?
3: Uh, I will look that up. I'm Probably sure sometime how. in February is yeah, what I'm guessing, uh, right? Late February. Yeah, and then
2: we we do the whole thing all over again, and then it's you know <laughs> yes. dark in the morning. Well, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. We get rolling here for a Tuesday edition. Uh, Fred is still out. He will be back tomorrow. He has been communicating. How about old Fred Bottenheimer over there, ladies and gentlemen? He has been communicating, trying to you know like ease back into work. Fred sometimes can't help himself, but he's doing a pretty good job on this trip. He was down in Miami with his family, so he'll be back tomorrow. we got Kilmeade on the show tomorrow. Our event with Kilmeade is coming up, of course, this Friday night, and we are sold out, so I don't even have to push tickets or anything, but if you're lucky enough to have some tickets, we can't wait to see you. Brian's going to come in, in the studio. I think, Sue, I don't know if I told you about this, I think we're going to blow things up a little bit in the 4 o'clock hour with what we usually do, because mm-hmm. we, we have Frank and, and Paul Hall, but because of the way the travel is going to work with Mr. Kilmeade, We're going to get him here in the 4 o'clock hour, and then they're going to take off, and you and I will somehow get down there magically at 6 o'clock when the event starts. So just keep that in mind. You know, and here's something. I'll bring this up just because um, you're a dog person. I'm a dog person. Yep. Brian Kilmeade is a dog person. He lost a dog over the weekend, unfortunately. Oh, no. Yeah. We'll, oh, I'm um, so sorry. We'll ask him about that. Um, Willow, Rocky, and Apollo, they're dogs. They lost Rocky on Saturday, a great <sighs> Pyrenees. Oh, and... no.
3: Those are both, They are so precious. Oh, big,
2: look at that dog. Look Huge at that dog. Huge and just
3: sweet. Oh. We,
2: we have, remember I told you we have new neighbors that moved in next door, and the uh, the family that moved out, they had cats. They did not have dogs. This family has two Beautiful Australian Shepherds,
3: beautiful dogs. I mean,
2: those dogs are just stunning. The one, which is kind of got to think of the names here because it's not too hard of a name, but just the eyes are just like gorgeous, gorgeous. Anyway, oh my gosh. So we'll uh, we'll mention that with Brian tomorrow, unfortunately, and send our condolences. But he will be here on Friday night. Did you just think of something else? I saw a coyote in Forest
3: Park today. I've got to make sure. Yes. Hold on. Let me dig into that, Janet. We were walking by, and there was Janet said, "Hey, is that a dog?" Sitting there in the sun, and I said, "Well, it looks kind of like a wolf or a fox or a dog." And we got closer, and uh, it, it ran off. Really, it, it just got ran away from me. And a maintenance guy said, "Oh, yeah, that's one of the coyotes." And I said, Say bye, bye. Mm. Bye.
2: Well, I mean, I have them out in my neck of the woods for sure. We hear them all the time. So you know. I guess
3: there are deer there. So why not, right? That's uh,
2: that's lunch and dinner for sure. Yeah, there's lots of food in Forest Park for the coyotes. There's no doubt about that. We have. Um you know it's funny we just mentioned his name yesterday Mark Milton who's a tax yes. attorney Mac, Mark's the guy that is suing the city of St. Louis on the earnings test issue and uh, earning yeah, earnings tax issue and my understanding is he's going to be in court a week from today so he's going to give us an update here in just a couple of minutes there is um, a woman by the name of Sharish Trump that's going to join us and I don't believe she's any relation but we're going to find out but she is the executive director of Speech First and a podcast called Well Said and You know, I highlighted this case yesterday with John Strauss, who's a professor at USC, who's now been banned from his classroom because he happened to say that Hamas should be killed. And it was misrepresented Mm -hmm. in the clip, and they blasted it across the interwebs where he said everyone should be killed, and they clipped out the word Hamas. But Charisse has some stuff to say about that. I have Peter Zane from Real Clear Investigations coming up this afternoon. Kusamano joins us because he skipped out yesterday, and we got Dave Strom with hot air as well. Let me start with this. It's interesting. Right before the show started, Clay Travis was on Fox talking about this, and I don't know if you heard the, the story. I think we're going to touch base with Dave Strom on this, too. So do you know what Deadspin is? If I say Deadspin, you know what that is? I do not. It's a popular left-wing uh, website that, you know, I think focuses on sports quite a bit. They um, they own other—the company that owns them owns Jezebel, The Root, and uh, The Onion, which used to be good, but I don't think The Onion's good anymore. I think it's The Babylon Bee. So there was this guy by the name of Karen Phillips that went on, C-A-R-R-O-N, Karen, and— He puts a picture of a little kid. He's like a five-year-old kid who's at the Chiefs game the other day. And he has a headdress on. He's got his face painted black on the one side, red on the other side. He's got his Chiefs jersey on. He's a Chiefs fan, right? Mm -hmm. So Karen Phillips goes on deadspin and says, hey, the, the NFL needs to speak out against the Kansas City Chiefs fan in blackface, native headdress. So he didn't put... You know, he just indicated that the kid had blackface. He didn't mention that half of his face was in red and it was the team colors, by the way. Right. So this little kid who had to be no more than seven years old, found a way to hate black people and Native Americans at the same time. You know, in his little outfit rooting on the Chiefs on Sunday at Arrowhead Stadium. So it's completely manufactured outrage. Keep in mind, and I have to give credit where credit is due because Clay said something about this about 15 minutes ago. He goes, keep in mind that these are the same people at Deadspin and Karen Phillips that think it's perfectly okay for a biological male to claim that he is now a female and wear all kinds of goofy stuff, fake boobs, you know, parade around, do whatever you want. And that's okay. That's normal. That's perfectly fine. But he was pretty good on this a few minutes ago, Clay. They simultaneously believe that a little kid who dresses up TO GO WATCH HIS FAVORITE TEAM PLAY AND PAINTS HIS FACE, THIS LITTLE KID THAT HE DESERVES CENSURE FROM NOT ONLY THE GENERAL PUBLIC, but that the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs organization itself should respond. Unbelievable. So, and and there are people that are, you know, kind of glomming onto this, saying that the kid should be banned from all NFL stadiums because he wore blackface, that he wasn't just dressed up as all. These are people that clearly don't, you know, I don't think they follow football. It was interesting, though. This happened in real time the other day with me. This was on the television. We were watching the Chiefs game on Sunday afternoon. And they were doing the tomahawk chop. And my daughter, who's eight years old, says, what are they doing? And I explained. I said, well, they're doing something called the tomahawk chop. It's the chiefs. She knows about Native Americans. There was nothing that she took away from that that's disparaging to no. Native Americans. See, we, we like to confuse these kids. We like to make them think that they're racist and evil or doing something wrong when they're not. But it's the adults that usually guide people into that. Speaking of the adults, th- this is I've got to highlight this a little bit just because what, what's happening in Ireland is really outrageous. And they can get away with it in Ireland. And you have to kind of be happy that in this country we'd have, I would hope, a fair amount of uh, pushback. So the prime minister, Leo Varadkar, last week made a commitment to taking strong actions against people who engage in violent confrontations with police, which is completely understandable. What happened was, and I mentioned this yesterday, you had a guy from Algeria that was, uh, I guess, allegedly I don't know if he was legal or not legal in Ireland, but he took a knife out. He stabbed three kids, one critically, and also an adult caregiver outside of school in central Dublin. Now, there's been a lot of tensions there because you had some other situations with immigrants that have occurred. There was a guy in court on Friday that received a life sentence for stabbing to death a 23-year-old female primary school teacher last year. So a bunch of people came out. This was very undercovered in the news over the weekend, I think. But you had police cars that were burned Buses, um, 34 people arrested. There were basically many riots that happened in Dublin the other night in the aftermath of all this. So the prime minister comes out and says, look, we're going to pass legislation. We're going to crack down on this. One of the pieces of legislation would grant police the authority to use facial recognition technology to identify individuals involved in the riots. That doesn't sound too problematic. But the other one is... It would provide police law enforcement with new tools to prosecute individuals promoting hate speech online. And what the prime minister and many of his lawmakers want to do is they want to make it possible for the Irish police to go in. And if you have a meme that's on your phone, if you have something that might be kept as a note, if you have a tweet, if you wrote something, even if you didn't send it, that is hate speech. And if you don't believe me, listen to Pauline O'Reilly, who's an Irish senator, sort of explain all of this. When you think about it. Actually, this is the one she supports it. So let me play the one who supports it. She supports it. When
4: you think about it, all law, all legislation is about the restriction of freedom. That's exactly what we're doing here is we are restricting freedom, but we're doing it for the common good.
2: Always be afraid when they say it's the common good. I made this point yesterday. It's, it's never good for the common good when they say it's for the common good. We'll
4: see throughout our constitution. Yes, you have rights, but they are restricted for the common good. Everything needs to be balanced. And if your views on other people's identities go to make their lives unsafe, insecure, and cause them such deep discomfort that they cannot live in peace, then I believe that it is our job as legislators to restrict those freedoms for the common good. She's
2: talking about trans people because we don't want to hurt their feelings. We can't do, we can do anything to pretty much every class of people except for trans people, okay? So just keep that in mind. But, but... Think about what this thing's going to do. This is another senator who's not crazy, like Pauline O'Reilly, explaining what the bill would do. just thought
5: I'd pop on to uh, go through one of the sections of the Criminal Justice Incitement to Hate or Hatred and Hate Offences Bill 2022, and I'm going to cover now today Section 15 of that bill. And now, There's
2: part of me that just likes to play this because they have Irish accents, but there is some meat here, uh-huh. so check it out. It basically
5: allows the Gardaí to get a search warrant uh, from the courts if they think that you have any material on any of your devices, any save tweets, any videos, any memes, anything that could be possibly considered to incite violence and hatred against someone. Even if you've never intended to use that, even if no one else has seen it, once you have it, they can raid your house, take all your devices, phones, laptops, hard drives, they can take non-electronic devices too, your documents, personal diaries, books, but not just from you, but from every single member of your family as well. This is what they're doing.
2: This is what they want to do in Ireland, to give police this kind of power. Wow. All
5: devices in the house. If you're sharing in a, in a, in a flat, every single person in, within your, within the flat or within the, the apartment, will be uh, their, their device will be seized. Not only that, they can then sit you down at your computer and force you to log in and force you to unlock your phone.
2: I mean, it's outrageous. And I don't know the the system over there well enough to know what the numbers are and how many people support this and how many people don't. But thank God we do still have a system here. I mean, if we had that law here, by the way, how many people from BLM would be arrested? Maybe it isn't a bad thing now that I think about it. it's a, a very strange pairing of the universe. Remember yesterday? Sometimes we, uh, Sue and I will talk during the commercials and we heard, we, we like Lance Drury's commercials. Yeah, we do. Lance Drury, because he's got Lance. And then we brought up Mark Milton's name, right? Yesterday. Yes. We said, hey, who's that guy that we like that's a local tax guy? I said, Mark Milton, he's great. Then I heard from, uh, some of his people this morning, and this was not on the air when we said that, right? That was off the air. And right. it was just one of those coincidences because he's back in court next week on this case that involves the earnings tax. So lo and behold, your ears were burning yesterday, Mr. Mark Milton. We were talking about you. Welcome back to the show. And I'm happy to get an update this afternoon. How are you? I hope you had a nice Thanksgiving.
6: Great. Thank you, Mark and Sue, for having me. I really appreciate it. I actually got my hair cut this afternoon just uh, for this appearance. So thanks for having me. Well, good. I'm
2: glad (laughs) that that, yeah, it does look good. Fantastic. The the audience agrees (laughs) completely. So bring us up to speed on where you are, maybe a little background on this case, and then uh, confirm or deny that you're back in court next week on this.
6: Sure. So it's it's sort of hard to believe. I mean, it'll be three years in April um, that we initially filed this lawsuit against the city of St. Louis and the collector of revenue, based on their refusal to issue refunds to non-residents for days spent teleworking. Now, this is something they had always done in the past, and there's an ordinance uh, for the earnings tax, which is authorized by state statute. And basically it says you're only liable for the earnings tax for days you work inside the city. And as we all know, COVID hits in in the middle of 2020, and the collectors sort of unilaterally uh, proclaimed that the city is no longer going to issue refunds for teleworking days, and that's not what the law is. The law didn't change, Uh, the circumstances changed. And so um, we filed this lawsuit on behalf of some individuals uh, who had always received these refunds in the past and who were denied the refunds uh, during the tax season of uh, 2021. So fast forward to where we are now, Um, we got a summary judgment ruling back in January of 2023, very favorable uh, from a city judge basically said, no, city collector, you can't do this. Uh, the law says what it says. Um, you can't just unilaterally change, uh, you know, your policy, uh, which is in contravention to the uh, plain language of the statute. And so we prevailed on the issue of our non-residents, you know, teleworkers liable for the tax. The court said they are not. Um, however, you know, there there are a lot of people who are impacted by this. And Early on in the case, we had asked for class action status because we felt like, you know, the collector sort of intentionally, uh, you know, violated the statute by refusing to issue these refunds. That part of the case was dismissed. Um, So now we had an opportunity to file an appeal on the dismissal of class action. The city and the collector have appealed the ruling on the merits. And so we go to court uh, before the uh, appeals court next Tuesday in downtown St. Louis, Uh, over the cross appeals. And we also had a Hancock amendment claim where we basically said, you know, you're taxing that, which was not taxed before. It requires a vote of the people to do that. And so you violated Hancock. And so we also lost that issue at the trial court. um, And we're appealing uh, that that particular issue as well.
2: So you, you lost me just a little bit, just because some of this is confusing. But obviously, maybe let's just start this way. When you go back into court next week, what specifically then will you be arguing for?
6: We are arguing that class action should be granted, so yeah. we're asking for the appeals court to remand the case back to the trial court, consistent with the you know lower court's ruling that teleworkers aren't liable for this, and to you know basically do discovery on class action, find out exactly how many claims were received, how many claims were denied, and try to get relief for as many people as possible.
2: Now you could be talking about tens of thousands of people, though, yeah. right?
6: Yeah. I mean, potentially hundreds of thousands. I mean, we've seen different numbers in terms of, you know, just think about in the greater metro area, how many people commute in from, you know, Southern Illinois, you know, out Jefferson County, St. Charles County, Franklin County. I mean, the numbers are, are tremendous. Um, the money at stake is significant. Uh, the city by its own estimate, uh, you know, put this at $50 million a year is at stake. Um, but, you know, it, it, the, the reality is this money belongs to the taxpayers. It belongs to the people who, you know, there there's some people they're going after that literally don't have an office in the city. They're trying to impose the earnings tax on people that have not set foot in the city for two or three years. It's ridiculous. And it's really – and it's also creating this sort of tension between employer and employee where the employer has this obligation to withhold it. The employee doesn't want them to. And so I think a lot of employers, you know, you have seen people leave the city, and this is just one more reason why they're going to do it. Because who wants to deal with that um, sort of uh, negativity when you've got the city who is, you know, targeting employers and employees uh, for this earnings tax?
2: So w- would this be something that you would get an answer on relatively quickly after making the arguments?
6: No. So uh, <laughs> the, the, it's the, the legal appeals court or- Duh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I'll say, I'll, I will say this. So the appeals court, it's a panel of three judges uh largely will be a, a Q&A. Uh, my co-counsel, Beavis Shock, who you know, um, will be there with me. He will probably handle the argument. Um, and, you know, a lot of times the judges will ask questions, and you'll sort of get an indication uh, of where they're leaning based on – you know, we filed briefs, and, you know, there's been a lot of briefing done in this case. But it really boils down to, you know, the plain language of the statute. And that's where, you know, it's pretty clear that uh, in the city means physically in the city – that's how the collector had always interpreted it. He sort of came up with this after the fact justification. If I, if you can indulge me, there's a quote from judge saying, who says quote, it seems the collector unilaterally altered the criteria for the refunds without pursuing any kind of formal rulemaking process or any amendments to the existing earnings tax statute or ordinance. Moreover, it strains credibility. He put this to think defendants always believed they were entitled to more tax dollars, but just decided for reasons unknown not to attempt to collect them, so he sort of calls out the um
2: ridiculousness of what they're trying to do here
6: without any sort of change in the law
2: and mark have they been then has that when it changed in 2020 <clears throat> during the pandemic or in the you know the immediate aftermath did it then continue that way where they they, they kept that same policy the change policy for the last three years or did yes. they change it when so, they had the ruling in January
6: no, they wouldn't change it so we we actually went to the court after we got that ruling and said, look you know, Judge. They still have this refund form out there that misstates the law, and it's you know it's preventing yeah. people from maybe bringing refund claims. And that's why we've said all along, you know, if you think you're entitled to a refund, you know, we can't represent everybody at this point until you know, was until we get class. But you need to you need to communicate that to the collector's office that you're owed a refund. I mean, it is a process, and I think they were banking on just people not pursuing it, right? I mean, who's going to hire a lawyer and file a lawsuit for a few hundred bucks? Um, but, you know, the paralegal is working from home all through, you know, well, most of 2020 and pretty much all of 2021. I mean, let's say they're making 50 grand, they're getting screwed out of 500 bucks and they're not going to have the means to, to fight it. And I think they banked on that. And that's what led us to bring the constitutional claims, which are, you know, this is sort of, you know, illegal conduct by government officials that should give rise to you know, civil rights violations. And that's where the class action comes in.
2: So, you know, just hearing this argued by you here on the radio and knowing a little bit about the law, not practicing like you do, it's impossible for me to see a scenario where a judge does not agree with you, although this happens all the time. But, I mean, how how can you not win this thing, right? I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, so so there's some
6: very unfavorable case law that says you can't get class action in a tax refund case. And that's what the city, the city has, you know, tended to focus on that. that. Uh, Yeah, right. Uh, No, they've said literally everyone has to file their own lawsuits, which is absurd. I mean, the reason we have class action under Missouri rules is to avoid a situation where you literally have 100,000 people filing individual lawsuits. I mean, it would just overwhelm the court. And so I agree with you. I hope that we get a ruling uh, and recognition of kind of seeing through what the city did. And that's where the egregiousness comes in. It's like they literally, you know, did this just I mean it's a total money grab on their part um, without any regard to the actual
2: law. So Mark if you do get class status on this though then what happens next?
6: Well so then we would have to engage in discovery um to figure out because up until this point they've they've thumbed their nose at Discovery asking for information regarding how many claims have been submitted, you know, how much money's in stake. And so at that point we would have you know, there would be relevance to the scope of how many claims there are, how many how much money is at stake. So at that point it would become a major, you know, discovery undertaking. Uh, we'd have to apply for, you know, we'd have to explain, you know, who who's in the class. We'd have to notify class members, but I also, I'm hopeful that, you know, maybe the city and the collector will come to their senses and recognize like this is bad policy and, you know, you're going to continue to, to, uh, want you know force people to want to leave the city if this is how you're going to behave and so you know that's my hope is that at some point they'll recognize the air of their ways and just give everyone so. their money back kenny
2: wallace has weighed in on that request <laughs> That's what he said. That's what he that <laughs> great. Yeah. I, I think I'm guy that's guy unlikely. This, Mark, I guess. I don't know. Well, well like, listen,
3: it, I, I think that's a good effort, Mark, to at least uh, show them that somebody is paying attention, at the very least. Yeah. And that uh, it, when government starts going against uh, the people and doing things that are illegal, somebody needs to call it out, yeah. whether you win or not. Well,
2: the bottom line is this, this is a terrible, terrible uh, tax, and we've tried to get a you know, rid of it for a long time. And Mayor Slay and Jeff Rainford made some inroads, of course, but then that went away and they have revenue issues, which is why they, well, they don't want to give it yeah.
6: up. And that's a point to make also. I mean, this has never been about, you know, an attack on the earnings tax per se, but I think there has to be a recognition that if this law, you know, if these rulings stand, I mean, the city is not going to be able to rely on the earnings tax being contributed by 75, it's 75% is non-residents paying this thing. So there's going to have to be a hard look at the earnings tax in general to figure out, is this viable going forward if if this law stands? And we think it will.
2: <clears> well, it's interesting. It has always been interesting to me, the earnings tax and the efforts to get rid of it. But uh, I appreciate Mark Milton, thank you so much for coming on. And keep us posted. You're in court on Tuesday, is that right?
6: Tuesday at 9.30, the old post office. Right.
2: Open let's, to the public. Let's get an update next week, Mark, okay? All right, sounds good. Yeah, I See think you. that's very interesting, so we'll, we'll keep track. You know, and the law is, I've described it this way, very particular. So as he indicated, there's some case law that might not be on his favor when it, you know, in his favor on his side when it comes to a tax case specifically, but we'll keep you posted on that. The executive director of Speech First and the host of a podcast called Well Said is going to expose a double standard when it comes to voicing support for Israel versus Hamas. Coming up next. Hang in there. Oh, we have Sue's News coming up in the next hour with uh, the one, the only, Sue Thomas. Fred is out today. He'll be back tomorrow afternoon. He'll join us, of course, in that 4 o'clock hour. J. Peter Zane from Real Clear Investigations, right after Sue's News. He wrote uh, a great piece about some of the recycling myths that are out there. And we'll get Ooh. into that and some other things with, uh, with Peter. And then Frank had to skip out on us yesterday because he was at the news conference at the stadium for um, our new pitcher. Right, And he's going to join us this afternoon to kind of wrap all of that up with uh, Sonny Gray, et cetera, all the questions that still remain. But first, here, before we get to the um, the end of this hour, Sharice Trump is with us. She's the executive director of a group called Speech First. She's the host of a podcast called Well Said. She joins us to talk about some double standards with Israel and Hamas. Sharice Trump, how are you? Welcome to 97.1 FM Talk.
7: I'm good. Thanks so much for having me on.
2: First and foremost, the question I'm sure you've been asked... A hundred million times, but people are going to, I know the answer, but the audience doesn't know the answer. Sue doesn't know the answer. Is there a relation, Charisse?
7: (laughs) No, no, no relation. (laughs) But obviously, certainly made things interesting, though. Yeah, because I I pulled this
2: up. I Googled you just to to find out, you know, to confirm that. It was interesting. The story that came up is I guess you were invited to do something with the Young Conservatives of Texas at Trinity University. And Trinity University thought they needed more insurance because of your name, right?
7: Even though they knew I wasn't related, they required me to get additional insurance uh, because they were basically not sure how their students would react. And I was like, wait a second, you don't have control over your own student body to know if they're going to riot just because of my name. And by the way, this is from the legal perspective, that's viewpoint discrimination, because if my last name was Biden, I don't think they'd care very much. No, it's you, you so think? it's definitely based. Yeah, exactly. Wow. It's definitely based off of what the name was and the viewpoint associated with that name. Well, I, I, first
2: of all, thank you so much for coming on here this afternoon. I spent a fair amount of time yesterday talking about the situation with John Strauss out in California, the professor, economics professor, I believe, who just kind of wanders into this uh, pro-Hamas demonstration and says something about killing Terrorists, and then it gets, um, you know, mangled mm-hmm. and spit out there on the interwebs and, you know, completely misinterpreted. But maybe without me playing all that audio again, explain a little bit more of the backstory there and why your group is involved here. Because this is happening often across the country, and it's a pretty good example of double standards, isn't it?
7: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I think this comes back to the problem where, you know, this generation, especially that's in college right now, most of them get their is their sole source of news and information is TikTok yeah. or, so, or other social oh, media oh, platforms. And yeah. this is something that. Yeah. And we need to, I was actually trying to look up the actual percentage, but I know it's very high. There's been a number of uh, studies on this because people are concerned about it on both sides of the aisle. This is concerning because obviously videos on TikTok can be edited, can be modified. Oftentimes, they're just random exaggerations of incidents, but this is where people are getting most of their information from. And so that should be concerning because what happened in this situation at USC with Professor Strauss was he actually was just walking by, and the, the clip that went around on TikTok was not what, the full clip of what he said. He's, like you said, he mentioned that Hamas terrorists should all be killed, that terrorists should be killed. And they clipped it, cut it completely, and says that you should all be killed. And that's basically how they cut it and put it in TikTok. And so and the sad thing is the university administrators were, again, using their sole source of information was from a TikTok video. Yeah. So
2: let me play a little of the audio. So you kind of describe what happened. And then I'll pick it up here where he talks about how he kind of wanders back into this demonstration. Then he goes back to class. They should all die. Every one of them referred, of course,
0: to Hamas. Then that later was changed. In the video that was released publicly that was heavily doctored to Palestinians should be murdered. And that's not what I said at all. Videos that were taken by uh, Jewish students there, they showed the truth.
2: Well, but the truth didn't matter. And he is still, my understanding is, Sharice, he's still banned from coming to Mm -hmm. his class. They're allowing him to do some things with graduate students on Zoom. But this thing blew up and the students won, essentially, which has been the trend certainly since October 6th.
7: Well this is what's crazy about the whole thing is that Sabbath. he was he was vindicated and he actually you know the the proof came out and it was clear what actually happened and the administrators in the university still said that he could not come back onto campus. Let's compare this to some other, uh, some other examples of how, what happened to other professors. You have professors all over the country right now professing their hate and disgust with Israel and therefore the Jewish people, saying from the river to the sea, global and fatada. These are, these are very anti-Semitic slurs. That they're shouting and they're joining these pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas rallies, and none of them are getting, you know, none of them are getting talked to by any of the administrators. None of them are getting kicked off campus. None of them are um, being told that they aren't uh, that students feel uh, you know, unsafe around them. And let's look even further back historically. You know, just a few years ago, I mean, Georgetown University. There was a professor. I don't know if you heard about this, Christine Fair. She was. Um, I went to their grad school program their security studies program and she was she's a professor there currently still to this day and uh she tweeted during the kavanaugh hearings that uh white men should be uh killed and their bodies oh, yeah. should be hung and castrated
2: yeah, i talked about her yeah. she's still yeah. on staff there she's still yeah, on staff
7: awesome. she was put on a year sabbatical and brought back and, and you know so then this is very very different handling of how how this is handled so it's clear that there's an, a there's a one a political agenda being played out here, and that's that's very apparent. Which is, you have leadership of the university who either very much, uh, you know, hate Israel and 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 are somewhat anti-Semitic, and they are using this as a this incident as a cudgel to basically tamp yep. down anyone or you know put fear instill fear into anyone who might diverge from those viewpoints. The second thing that's happening is there's other administrators who maybe are not you know, super political or super interested in all of this, but they're terrified of the woke mob. And they know that if they try to defend this professor, then they are also going to get pulled down. They are terrified of – What's now the tyranny of the minority, and this has been something that's been going on for a long time on campuses, not just with anti-Semitism, but with all of this DEI nonsense that's been going on.
2: So, you know, it's interesting. I I went, I started at the University of Missouri in 1983 and was very aware, you know, Ronald Reagan was president, very aware as a young conservative at the time of the radical left-wing ideology around me. But I think even those of us who have warned America and warned listeners for decades, I've been doing this for decades, Charisse, about the crazy stuff on Mm -hmm. college campuses, I'm still shocked by what I've been seeing in the last seven weeks I really am I cannot believe yeah. some of the things that have happened um, and I don't even know how to yeah you know talk about it because it's so shocking in some instances
7: I mean this is the final manifestation of what we've like you said what we've been seeing going on for years with with what we call the woke uh, agenda and when we say woke Agenda we're talking about uh, you know Hyper Marxist ideology which is Essentially you know putting people into categories By based on their various identities And then uh, putting them Into different groups of oppressor Versus oppressed and only looking at the lens Through that black and white there's no flexibility um, uh, For how they're Going to look at the world there's no it, It's what it's a very rigid Ideological viewpoint so There's no room for nuance or debate Or discussion you're either in this group or you're in the other group, and for those who are in the oppressed group as victims, they get what's you know we refer to as identitarian deference, which means essentially all of the situations are deferred to them because they're the victims. They get to determine, they get to set the terms and determine like what the experiences are because they lived it. Uh, and the oppressors don't get to set the stage at all. They don't get to make their arguments. They are the bad guys, and any any uh, means enacted against them justify all the ends, alter all the ends justify the means that are enacted against them. So So, like terrorist activity, for example, violence, shutting down speech, that's all justified because they are the oppressors.
2: Do you think that we had some things that happened on the aforementioned campus of the University of Missouri, I don't know, seven, eight years ago where they got pretty woke in the football program and the administration. And there was um, some things that went on that got national attention and, you know, people that were um, high dollar You know, folks that donated to the university, well, they backed off on that because they didn't like what was happening. So it it seems to me that there is some of that already happening with big donors to universities. But you can't tell me, Sharice, that more parents who should have been on to this nonsense beforehand, they just weren't listening to shows like this or reading publications like yours, that they're not having their eyes open to this and and may pull back on some of the purse strings moving forward. I don't know. I don't know if there are going to be consequences. What do you think?
7: I mean, I think there has been, I mean, there's been quite the movement, even in just the last decade, um, advocating for free speech rights on campuses, you know, trying to push back against this like woke movement. Um, But and and we have seen, I think it's important to recognize that there has been progress made. So we are an organization that sues universities when they violate students free speech rights. We have won many precedent setting cases at the circuit level. We're currently waiting to hear back from the Supreme Court if they'll take one of our cases, which will be one of the biggest cases of the term, um, because we haven't had a free speech in higher ed Case in front of the Supreme Court since 2010. So we know it's been going on for the last thirteen years on campus, so it'll be an opportunity to really air all this out. Uh, so I, I think it's there has been some movement there on the legal side, but also on just like you mentioned the public side, you know parents donors alumni board members and state legislators and various lawmakers are all getting more involved in this and having starting to speak out more about it it's going to be it's a slow shift to turn because the the far left has dominated uh, the academy for multiple generations now since the 60s so this is something that it's it's going to take a while to see full change yep. but and, you know, and all we're asking at this point is just to have open dialogue and open inquiry and allow and debate and discussion regardless of where your viewpoint is. Um, but it's important to it's important to recognize that uh, there is something that that is, is taking place that's a shift. Now, in saying all of that, when you're talking about parents, yes, they there has been a slow, I think, a very small Decline in the number of students actually attending college. Obviously, there's been an inc- increase in overall, but there's been a decline of various groups. Um, white men, white young men are no longer, uh, they're, they're less likely to go to college in various uh, situations. They're rather, more likely to enter like blue collar jobs that pay more and don't put them in debt. Yeah. Well, so they're, the debt they're
2: white, so they're irrelevant available. anyway, so I don't think that even matters. Right, we can exactly. just sacrifice them. Charisse, I got to go because I'm up against the break here. You're fantastic guest. The, uh, the website is speechfirst.org. Is that
7: right? Absolutely. Speechfirst.org, you can look us up and see what we're doing. And the podcast is
2: well said. And I love promoting podcasts as a terrestrial (laughs) radio guy, but you have a great radio voice, so I bet it's good. (laughs) But, Sharice, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right, take care.
1: Get more at 971talk.com.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours